So hello everyone and welcome back to the I Hear Design podcast. I'm Robert Niaminen, Chief Content Director of Interiors and Sources. And I don't know about you, but I'm officially missing trade show season. Right about now, a lot of us would just be getting back from HP Expo in Las Vegas and gearing up for the AIA convention, uh, Neocon, or both. Uh, and in spite of all the cancellations of major shows this year, it's been great to see how everyone in the industry has pivoted and made the best of Zoom meetings, webinars, and even virtual happy hours to keep those connections alive. But the last in-person event I attended was our Design Connections Conference in Savannah at the beginning of the year before the pandemic had really become a major concern here. And while I was there, I met and got to spend time with my guests for today. So Suzanne Angarano is principal at the newly launched Basin Studio in Syracuse, New York. Suzanne, thanks for being here. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, congratulations on the launch of the new studio. Um, so when did that happen and what practice areas does your firm specialize in? Thank you. Uh, so Vazen Studio officially launched uh, earlier this week, actually, um, but it's been sort of in the works for a couple of years and more officially in the works uh, at the end of last year. Um, and it is a, a studio that spe uh, specifically specializes in interior design and design strategy. Um, and it arose out of the architecture firm that I'm also a part of, Ashley McGraw Architects. Um, and it was really because we saw that there was a deep need uh, for uh, looking at our work uh, in a with a different approach in the way that we work with stakeholders and the way that we gather information to set, set design off in a really good direction. Um, so it's our design strategy process uh, is specifically tailored for educational environments, K-12 and higher ed. Um, that's those are the studios that we uh, our markets we primarily work with. Um, and it, it was just a way that this new studio can really uh, emphasize those efforts and grow those uh, in, in a more targeted way. So I'm very excited to launch that and kind of uh, full speed ahead. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. No, that's very cool. I didn't realize it was that recent. So congratulations again. And yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing the, the work that you guys are doing with the studios. Thank you. Well, the last time you and I met Suzanne, uh, you were really excited about the presentation that you were scheduled to give at Neocon before uh, the show canceled. And so I thought it'd be really cool for, to have you on the podcast and tell our listeners a little bit more about it because it sounded really interesting. For those who may not be familiar with the term, um, what are we talking about when we say regenerative design and like what does it encompass? So there's probably a couple different ways that people hear this uh, word talked about, but the way in which I mean it is it's a process of developing capacity in people to evolve and thrive and to develop towards vitality. So it seems like a lot, but it's that's kind of maybe the short uh, and sweet version of it. Um, and the way that we do that in design is to in the way that we approach design. So it's the way that we develop the process and the way that we engage people and um, and then it's also the social economic and environmental systems that we engage in the process so it's not just talking to um, the client and looking at what are their programmatic needs but looking beyond those borders and uh, into the understanding the systemic uh, uh, connections between all of the things uh, around this project or client that we're working with right um, part of, I would add to that so that part of the biggest thing for me is that it's a mind shift. It's going from uh, doing 
things better to doing better things. Um, and I am taking that sort of quote or snippet from actually where I learned a lot of this information from. Um, so this, this concept or the framework that I've learned was developed by the Colorado State University Institute for the Built Environment. And they have a lot of great resources on their website, which I can share later. Um, but it's really, they developed kind of a framework and a roadmap to be able to develop that capacity in yourself and then develop that capacity in the people that you're working with to be able to take all that information to look at the systems in a holistic way and use that in your work. Yeah, that's very cool. I like the way you put that and not just doing things better, but doing better things. I, I like that. It's going to stick, I think. So <laughs> um, So I was interested in, in knowing, like, is there a relationship between regenerative design and sustainability, for example? Like, is one a subset of the other or how does that work? So they can operate together, but they are different. Um, so I'll say a couple things. It's not a knock on sustainability. Sustainability has done fantastic things and there's a lot of wonderful things that have come out of that. Um, so sustainability, however, is a little bit of a do good mentality. So it comes from the concept of that resources are scarce. So trying to do more with less or, um, you know, saving energy, saving water, those types of things. And it's sometimes uh, it's not necessarily looking beyond that initial aspect and it's not looking at the systemic impacts and having that awareness. So um, there could be in some of your uh, sustainability practices, unintended negative impacts. And so uh, regenerative design and that process of thinking is looking towards potential and allowing things to evolve to look at the greater system. And so it's about conscious and intentional work. So it's always a balance. You can't always make the number 100% uh, best decision. Um, but the hope is that you can look deeply enough at the systems and understand how big that uh, that boundary really is, that it's not just your project site, and make really good uh, decisions. And then also decisions that have exponential impacts, um, and that could be on greater systems and also over time. Interesting. Um, could you give an example, like you said, that sometimes sustainable design might have like a, a negative consequence or impact that's unintended? Can you kind of elaborate on that just a little? Sure. So one example that, um, a quick easy one, I guess, is that so solar panels, they're wonderful um, part of sustainability, you can generate your own energy, put energy back into the grid. However, those panels themselves are manufactured somewhere by someone and it they're using um, materials that are mined from the earth and you might not know where that's coming from or who's doing the mining. So thinking about that can you make better decisions on what products you're you're using for the solar panels or where you're getting that from that's a small example okay yeah gotcha thank you appreciate that so what would you say are some of the benefits or impacts of taking a regenerative design approach over maybe some more traditional design methodologies for example sure so there's two parts to this that I think are important to think about. One is it's the process of design, the process of gathering the information and getting to the direction that you move towards. And then there's the resulting design. And the impact of regenerative development and regenerative design is, is 
in both of those. It lives in both of those. So the design process is developing the capacity in people and the stakeholders to look beyond their typical boundaries. And that can have lasting effects and exponential impacts um, in their lives, in the way that they approach their surroundings, and, and then ultimately with that, with the project, the result. And then with the project itself, when it's going through design and um, is is done and people move in and are experiencing that, it's an enhanced experience. Um, the process that they go through to get to the end result develops uh, a deeper appreciation or a deep, deeper meaning for that project. Um, and the stakeholders are aware of everything that went into that design um, and can understand all of the uh, potential and opportunity that was explored during the design process. Um, and then the hope is also that that again, that lasts over time. So it's continuously evolving through time and has the potential to allow those users and stakeholders or the full system to thrive. Okay, very good. On the flip side of that, are there any potential challenges or limitations to this approach? Yes, absolutely. So I think there's maybe two camps. One uh, might be that what I'm saying seems a little out there. And then the other might be that what I'm saying seems really easy. Um, and both are difficult to kind of work with. And I think it's it's really a mindset shift. And it takes time. It's a It takes a lot of time to build the capacity in yourself to do this work. It's being intentional is hard. Um, if you really take the time to think about that concept of doing your work very intentionally, it, it's difficult. So it takes time to develop that capacity. And then once you personally have that capacity, how then you, how can you then draw people into that capacity as well? And um, there's going to be people out there who are traditional and want to do it the way that they've always done it. And they don't necessarily see, um, it's not, you know, they don't mean it as a negative, but they can't see beyond themselves or beyond the con context of their project. Um, so it takes time um, and it's a mindset shift that is takes continuous work. And it's something that I'm still working on. I am definitely not 100% there. And it even if I were, it takes a lot of time to an effort to just maintain that capacity. Right. So how can a designer go about like starting to apply regenerative thinking approaches to their projects? Like where do they start? Sure. So I think the best way to talk about this is maybe with an example. So for instance, I recently completed the renovation of a public library in my area in Syracuse. And um, I could have approached the project as, okay, a typical design project. We're going to gut gut the inside and add some new finishes and redo the layout and that sort of thing. But I felt like that project was a really good one to go through this regenerative process. Um, a library is the heart of a community. It has a lot of potential to impact children, um, uh, adults that need uh, additional resources, um, uh, people of various economic status um, in terms of uh, people come to the library for a lot of different reasons. They're going to be looking for a new job and they need help with a resume or uh, children who want to play together in a different environment. Granted, in this pandemic, a lot of our libraries are not open, but think about what you're missing in your community, and a library might be high on that list. So 
this library had a lot of potential to have impacts for the social system. And then we were also able to look at what are the other systems. So um, specifically in this uh, community, there's a lake nearby, and there was also the Haudenosaunee um, uh, Native American tribes that have a uh, history there. And drawing on that history, drawing on the ecological uh, history and systems of that space, and could we bring that into the library and have it part of part of that uh, richness that, that um, design develops from. And so with those things in mind, we were able to uh, meet with stakeholders, have a certain approach in, in meeting with them. Um, it definitely shaped the way that we crafted the space in terms of the circulation flow, what, what have had prominence, um, the different types of spaces in the space, um, and also you know, making sure there was history that was clearly displayed um, as a way to share knowledge and share that experience. So, I, sometimes the results you can achieve uh, some of these things uh, kind of doing it the traditional way, but I do feel that, again, it's back to that process, going through that process with the stakeholders to uncover that information, to listen to that information has a lasting impact. Yeah, that's very cool. I mean, it sounds like I don't want to oversimplify, but it, you know, it reminds me of more of a holistic approach, I guess. I mean, that, not to, again, overgeneralize, but... No, that's a really good way to see it. I think a word that maybe is more attainable to some people is a holistic resiliency. Mm -hmm. um, I would maybe put that in a similar vein as regenerative design. Right. Yeah, it's good. Another definition, I think, yeah, that'll help resonate with people. So obviously, I mean, you mentioned you know, pandemic libraries being closed. I wanted to ask, can regenerative design be instructive as far as the way we approach building design right now in light of the pandemic? Like, is it instructive for dealing with some of the challenges that we're facing right now? I think so. So um, it's an opportunity to use this approach in a way that you have the potential to see things differently. So rather than seeing this pandemic as, oh my goodness, we're going to have to put up barriers and totally change the way that our society operates, can we instead shift again, a mindset shift, shift our mindset and look at this as an opportunity? Are there things about, so in my field, we're, we're looking at K-12 and higher ed education, can we look at this as an opportunity to shift the way that students learn? Are there things about um, educational delivery that we can um, maybe further along because of the pandemic and how space can support those things? So that's something that my firm and Basin Studio is working on right now is to you know, there's the immediate need to get us back into society, and there's a lot of firms doing fantastic work on that. Um, and I'd like to look a little bit more long term. So regenerative design is looking at the evolution and the um, the way that this can perhaps allow us to thrive long into the future. So I'm looking maybe a year from now. What do what does the school of a year from now look like post pandemic, and are there opportunities there to rather than take a classroom and try to figure out how to use it the way that we used to, can we just change the way that classrooms are it, mm -hmm. from the beginning? Yeah, absolutely. We'll have to have you on for another podcast. And once we figure that, that whole thing yeah. out, talk, because I think that's a big question in everybody's mind is what is everything going to look like in schools, especially right now with all the kids being home and schools being shuttered. So very absolutely. And I think there's huge potential there. So something I'm working on. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, yeah, we'll definitely touch base again. Um, so for listeners out there that are interested in learning more about regenerative design, do you have any resources you can point them to? Yes. So as I mentioned before, the um, Colorado State University had kind of started the process that I went through. And 
they've developed something that's called the Center for Living Environments and Regeneration, and their website is clearabundance.org. And there's a lot of good resources on there, some introductory videos. You can also sign up for a class, um, but good thing to kind of peruse through and some good definitions. Awesome. That's great. Yeah, and we'll be sure to put a link on that to this podcast on our website. So for any of our listeners that want to go there, uh, it will be available on, on the website. For our listeners out there, Suzanne is actually going to be delivering her full presentation as part of the March Virtual Neo Connect experience in June. Uh, Suzanne, when is your online presentation taking place? So it will be on Wednesday, June 10th at 9.30 a.m. I'm very excited. Hope you yeah. can join me. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, very cool. I'll be looking forward to it. Um, to our listeners, if you haven't heard about the NIA Connect experience, uh, you can find more information about that by visiting the NIACON website at neocon.com, where you'll find more details about product launches, panel discussions, and CEUs you'd expect at NIACON, but in a sort of digital community hub format. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Suzanne, thanks so much for being here. Uh, it's been great talking to you. Thanks so much for having me. It was great speaking with you as well. Great. Well, for our listeners, stay tuned for more podcasts from our How to Specify uh, series that are coming up. So thanks again for tuning in and be well, everyone. Thank you.